If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is owner and founder of Adrian Chalk Selections, New York-based purveyor of fine and rare wines, Adrian, Adrian Chalk. Uh, 30 years ago, Adrian helped build a new winery in Provence as a sweat equity partner of Chateau Rutas. Uh, he went on to work for Lauber Imports for 17 years, a job which took him around the globe visiting wine-growing regions. And in 2015, he launched his own portfolio, Adrian Chalk Selections. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here. Tell us about the wine we are drinking this evening. Oh, my God. Well, uh, with undiluted pleasure, this is... Uh, one of the icon wines of the world, and uh, it really is my calling card. It happens also to be Lalou Bizlois's calling card. Uh, she is famous in Burgundy for um, being the daughter of Henry Lois, who um, rescued a little plot of land called Romane Conti from complete uh, obscurity in the middle of the Second World War. And he started rebuilding the walls and figuring out what to do with the vineyard, saving it, putting it together, making what is called today the Société Civile de la Romane Conti. And uh, in that way, he protected it uh, from being uh, broken up ever again. Mm. And it's probably the most expensive piece of real estate on the planet. Um, and, and I'm drinking it. Yeah, but, well, this, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go quite that far. This is not DRC, but no, this, but, this, is, this is um, her, her footprint. This is um, the Bourgogne Rouge. Uh, it's her calling card. Yep. And this is uh, from my cellar. This is a 2015. Mm-hmm. So it's got a few years on it, but it's still young and fresh and vibrant and uh, very good vintage. And um, here's to you, dude. Thanks, uh, thanks nice for being to, here, man. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet yeah. you. Um, so you got to drink something. I do. I have to. That's right. Cheers with you. Mm. Mm. I wish Glow could join us. Glow, Glow. Listen, when I told them, they were like, "Who's this Adrian Chalk guy?" I said, "Well, he represents, you know, some of the finest, you know, most expensive wines in the world." 
And they, they were like, oh, no, damn, we're not going to be in the studio. And then she texted me like, oh, I'm doing dry March. I'm like, all right, that's on you. I tried to do one day. I cannot do it. I, just, I was like, <laughs> it's been like, I don't know, 30, 40 years. <laughs> I'm like, I'm wet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. Well, um, man, it's been, you know, I'm glad you're here. I've been trying to get, well, we've been going back and forth a few months. Uh, ben Aniff, Tribeca Wine uh, Merchants, uh, who came on the show, who brought an amazing burgundy as well. He's um, a good, good man. Yeah. He's now a father. Yeah. Um, had said, you know, hey, MJ, I, I got someone I think would be great for your show. Adrian Chalk, he's got a great, a crazy story. He represents, you know, Loire. I mean, you know, he just, he, he and so, um, you know, what you do uh, at that end of the market, you're always busy. It's not like, you know, luxury never goes out of style. Yeah, it's going to get worse, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, my God. The yeah. burgundy is just going through the roof. Yeah. I didn't think I would sell a bottle this year, and... Uh, when I saw her prices, uh, I just, I was in New Jersey. Uh, I've been going everywhere but New York City restaurants for the last two years. You know, my, my world is New York City restaurants. Yep. And during the pandemic, I basically had to flip completely and change my whole business model to outside of Manhattan and outside of restaurants. Yeah. And, you know, thank goodness um, that worked out. I broadened my network and my sales doubled. Um, beyond my wildest imagination. And I was in New Jersey, and, you know, as things happen, you get the email with the offer, and I had to sort of order a whiskey (laughs) (laughs) and just cut the shock off because every year the prices go up, but this year they went up like fivefold. Wow. And, you know, we're talking from a very high base. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> and, um, you know, I took a moment of pause and I left New Jersey and returned to Manhattan and <laughs> had a sleep, <laughs> woke up, had breakfast. And then I, I sort of, you know, sent out the bad news. Basically, you know, here's the bill, guys. Um, I don't think I can sell a fucking bottle. Excuse my language. And to my partner's credit, you know, we put in uh, about... $300,000 worth of orders in advance in order to secure what we mm-hmm. thought we could sell. And then I went to France for my annual tasting with her, and uh, she's just turned 90. And it's always just an ex- you know extraordinary experience uh, going back in time with her and uh, visiting the parcels with her through the wines. And it's a privilege I've had for 25 years. And we have a mother-son relationship, and it's, it's unique. And um, even the, her employees say that about me in my absence. It's pretty cool. And, and I'll tell you more stories after, but uh, all this to say, um, I tasted through the wines with her and then met my family for a skiing vacation. And uh, after I was recovering from a bit of apres ski, I, <laughs> I, I took the day off. I went to see a, a, an amazing woman uh, who makes wine in Switzerland. Uh, Marie-Therese Chapa. If she ever comes to New York, you should definitely meet her. She's cool. the queen of Switzerland. Anyway, um, and I had such a great day with her. We had a great lunch. And, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to uh, not go up to the slopes. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to take the afternoon. I'm going to write my tasting notes out. And, you know, about 25 wines, let's say 30 wines. And I sent it off to all my colleagues in New York. And it got sent around the whole network. Half a million dollars later, 
$800,000 total of wines that I didn't think I could sell a bottle. The demand for Burgundy is off the Richter scale. Mm. And, you know, not just retail, not just fancy collectors, restaurants Mm -hmm. in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. you know, buying wines that, you know, beyond my wildest imagination. So... You know, God bless New York City, man. It's an incredible city. Who knows what's going on? But, uh, you know, we have a a lot of competition with Asia, but uh, we're holding our own. Very cool. Very cool. So let's let's backtrack. Let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up, Adrian? I'm a boy from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All right. (laughs) I don't know what's so funny about that, but you, you, you're... No, actually, I had a, who was Where are that? you from, dude? I'm from Jersey, man. Okay, well, you're a little further south. <laughs> yeah, a little further south. No, actually, um, I had... Uh, Thatcher Baker Briggs was on. He was from just outside of Ontario. He's uh, Toronto, rather. Um, Have you met Paul Greco? Yeah, yeah, Paul was on. Okay, Paul, so Paul. he's from about an hour uh, right. away from me in Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I laugh because, like, 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 Paul's a player. You're a player. This young kid, Thatcher's a player. Like, and, you know, like... Canadian love. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> well, yeah. Neil Young's a player. I yeah. heard a few others. Yeah, you know, we uh, got we got it going. You got it going on out there. It's like, but I have to confess, you know, I've been an American for thirty years, so yeah. uh, you know, I got four American kids. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, yeah. I still have a Canadian passport. Well, hang on to that. It's always good to have you can oh, have two yeah. passports. You can have two passports. Um, so, what was it like growing up in, in Toronto for you, man? Like, uh, I know because it's a pretty pretty diverse city. Most people, right? Like, very good. Very food scene. It was a great yeah. scene. Uh, we never locked the front door. Mm. Uh, you know, walked to school, biked to school, uh, played hockey across the street on a rink. You know, um, English father, Irish mother, um, so very European. Okay. Um, my dad never mentally unpacked for twenty five years. He was a wine lover. Okay. He was a lover of France, for sure. He was a mathematician. Okay. And he was into his honey. We had uh, we made honey in the backyard. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We, and we still do. I still do. On the roof of Tribeca uh, today. Um, and, you know, uh, my mother was uh, a lawyer, and she got into uh, the RCMP. And um, when I went to university in Paris, my brother followed me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they moved to, uh, they retired, they sold the house in Toronto and moved to England. My mother worked for the Canadian government there and as a cultural attache. And, uh, you know, my brother stayed in Paris. I went to university in Paris. My brother followed two years later and he is still living in Paris. Yeah. Well, you, so, know. you know, we have a strong connection to France. Wow. Clearly. Um, but before you went to Paris, you studied French and Latin at the University of Toronto. Is that correct? I did. I did. I did. What, Very good. What was, uh, why, what motivated you to study language? Oh, I was always interested in uh, women. Yeah. I got it. It's, I, I and, hear you. And, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I was at the taste. I was at a taste the other day. And like. I'm sorry. I just want to get you going. No. I was at a taste. And, and it's so funny. I was like, I was like, like these French winemakers, these women come like. <laughs> No makeup, blah, blah, blah. And like just the – I don't know it's the accent or something. I don't know what it is, man. But yeah, it's yeah. a very unique accent in the world, particularly a French uh, woman speaking English. She just has that little little bit, that little thing, and there's just that je ne sais quoi. Well, I, I started early. I um, <laughs> was at uh, kindergarten in Paris. Okay. Um, my dad had a sabbatical, and he studied he, – he taught for a year in Paris and – we kept the apartment in Paris for almost 15 years, so we would go to France uh, three or four times a year. Oh, nice. I never went to camp. I went to France. Yeah. So I uh, always spoke French. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my brother and I went to French school, mm-hmm. and um, 
I uh, applied for a third year abroad to the University of Paris. Um, my professors helped me, and I got the third year abroad, and I never looked back. So what was that, what was that like, being a young man in Paris? <laughs> it was paradise. <laughs> Simply and solely, uh, it was a magic carpet. It was, um, I never thought I would leave Paris. Okay. I love Paris. I know Paris like the back of my hand. Um, I probably know New York a little better now, but uh, when I'm in Paris, when I land in Paris, I'm home. Mm. And I felt like that two weeks ago, and you put me there now. You know, I know Paris really well. Yeah, it's, um, my, it's my home. That's really cool. I, I love what you said. Like, there's places. Yeah, I've been to places like, and you get off the plane like, oh, you just like the energy is like, yeah, totally, yeah, grounded. Well, you know, I, I, Paris is a is a medieval city in a way. You know, it's not a and I I, I didn't learn to drive a car until I was twenty. Um, actually, in the Venice parking lot, I'll tell you about that story. <laughs> but uh, so I was I was going by bicycle everywhere. Oh my god! And so I know all the little alleyways and everything, and all the hills and sideways alley. You know, just this. You know, it was just a great way to get to know a city. Yeah. I can imagine. Did you have like the little like you know a sweater over the shoulders or the scarf and the beret riding the bike with a basket with a baguette or? There probably were many times. Probably <laughs> and, and a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> I'm into I'm into giving flowers. Very nice. Um, so uh, you had said earlier that you know your father was into wine. So um, was that a staple growing up, like on the table every meal, or just like on certain meals, or there was always some wine on the table? Oh my God, uh, yeah. No, I would say um, wine was definitely a fixture mm -hmm. to the point where we made wine in Toronto in our basement. We pressed. We had a little basket press. We made wine from California Zinfandel, Alicante, Barbera, the whole nine yards, and uh, it was so much fun. You know, we'd go down to the docks uh, down with all the Italians from mm -hmm. Toronto and mm -hmm. all the Portuguese and. Uh, we were like the whites, the whites, <laughs> you know, and, you know, my dad, English, you know, but they were, they just thought he was such a character and I just watched him in action and, you know, we'd get these crates of Zinfandel and mixed field blends and we'd crush them like a Beaujolais in the basement and my brother and I would help. Every time we went to a restaurant, we would bring back the empty bottles because obviously we were going to bottle at home right. and we needed bottles and so... You know, we would clean the label off and clean the bottle, and um, every year we'd bottle a barrel or two, and uh, we would drink it within the year. So that's why I say it's a Beaujolais, but it was it was basically um, a Beaujolais-style field blend from gotcha. North Coast, California. Yeah. I love those wines. Um, <laughs> yeah. You but, know, because I lived in California. I, I don't know if I would. Cali <laughs> but, <laughs> but, no, I, but I mean, but like, you know, some of those. Those um, some of those ridge field blends, like those, are actually very age worthy wines, depending on how they're made. You know what oh I mean? yeah, you know? well, I think those are made with a lot more uh, precision than that we were doing <laughs> <laughs> in the Toronto basement. But, you know, I mean, if you want to taste something like that, you got to go to Brooklyn. But you know, there are tens of thousands of New Yorkers making wine at home. In really? Europe. Yeah, it's a real industry. Philadelphia, Boston, wherever you find, you know. Uh, European, right? People European descent, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, my dental hygienist, her, she, her, uh, her ex-husband is uh, first-generation American. So his 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 grandfather, you know, uh, taught her son how to make wine. They still make wine down in Jersey. They get grapes like I think people in Jersey. There's places that get grapes from like Chile and Argentina, and they have a custom crush. But like, 
you know, it's well. Th- these were grapes that were uh, refrigerated. You know, they came oh. across on train, and they were still in perfect condition. I mean, not perfect, but you know, a lot better than if they were coming from Chile. Yeah, you know, time is of the essence for wine. Yeah, for sure. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, wine was definitely there. My father, being English, of course, was uh, a claret drinker, a proper oh, yeah uh, claret. So uh, that meant Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather in England had a, a proper cellar. Uh, with proper claret, um, but there was an, as an occasional interloper, you know, a Rioja or whatever. <laughs> but it was so cool to taste a hundred-year-old Rioja and stuff like that. That you know, um, in retrospect, now I like fuck. I did taste nineteenth-century wines. You know, yeah. it was cool. Anyway, so yeah, definitely wine was part of our. our um, daily life. And uh, so whenever we'd go to Europe, especially France and Spain and Italy, um, you know, the great universities of Europe tend to be close to wine growing regions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, there were visits to vineyards, there was always wine on the table. That's really cool. And what about um, cuisine was like, uh, was your mother good? Who cooked your dad, your mom? Did it was a combination? Yeah, I think I wouldn't. I wouldn't say either of my parents were real chefs, okay. um, but what they did bring to the table, as it were, was f- the idea of going to a market, not to a supermarket. Got it. Which was pretty cool. Um, Toronto has a lot of um, markets, and my dad would bring home stuff from the Kensington Market, or my mom would bring stuff from wherever she was uh, downtown, Jarvis, you know, RCMP. You know, it, it depended on where you know they were that day, and they would just pick up stuff. And when I moved to Paris, um, you know, in 1985, I was you know I was living almost around the corner from a, a, a weekly market, you know, and um, so that sort of idea of buying fresh produce was kind of natural for me yeah yeah and um as a young man in france did you uh expand your your cooking skills your culinary skills are there or? totally so um the the that's a very canadian expression <laughs> uh the totally totally eh? yeah exactly <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like, i haven't said that for 30 years but okay so so um just so you understand um my my mom mom went to a, a law school in toronto with this guy called george butterfield okay and he started with his buddy from school uh uh a bicycle tour company called butterfield and robinson uh, in the 60s they did uh, student bike tours of europe and the parents uh, of these kids got jealous of their kids' summer holidays uh, and said, hey, can you do something for adults? And so by the time I was ready to start gallivanting around Europe, uh, they had expanded their program to, to include these sort of two-weekend, nine-day uh, adult biking trips in wine regions because they're, by definition, almost the most picturesque yeah. places to go to. Yeah. Um, you know, you just go to Burgundy, the Loire, Alsace, Provence, Rhone, you know, they're, they're beautiful region, Chianti. Anyway, uh, I got a job in 1985 and that was the perfect summer job. And I started leading bike tours and walking tours for Butterfield and Robinson. And those were trips that were not only wine trips, but they were also just, you know, cultural, uh, immersion into a specific region within Europe. Mm -hmm. And, um, the rest is history because they were luxury trips and I got the taste for the good life. Oh, wow. 
And it's hard to stop once you get yeah, going. Yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I think when people get into wine, I try and, you know, you want to warn them. You're like, hey, man, if you're happy, if you're happy, like, and listen, there's tons of great wines between 12 and $25 that are really good for around the world. If you it's if you stay, stay in that pocket, if you can, because once you... <laughs> Well, no, I, I think they're always good. It depends on where you are. It's all about geography, and yep. you can get great value wines yep. at any price point, no doubt. But I'm I'm talking about the um, the the general experience of um, of life. Uh, you know, staying in really nice hotels. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, and, we said at the outset, like luxury, like luxury never goes out of style, and it never goes on sale, right? So the, the, the real pure definition of luxury is quality, mm. and. Um, when you when you are made acutely aware of the artistic and artisanal um, aspects of quality, then you understand luxury, mm. and and then it's all about how to market luxury, and then that's a whole other different art. Mm. But I'm talking, uh, you know, a young twenty year old being in touch with you know extreme quality and going wow okay this is what cashmere is about in, right, wa- right, in right. wine yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. what cashmere is about <laughs> in food you know you know what i'm talking about no yeah, i do no know. i yeah. this is what uh 300 ply sheets are like right you know? right yeah, okay. right like it's it, you're it, like that experience at that age is right gonna be defining life defining definitely, definitely. you know um <laughs> But you know, you are also you're also the guide, and so you're also you have the quality of you're, you're on the inside, yeah. And you have the wonderful uh, privilege of of being one foot on the supplier side, one foot on the tourist side, and being the communication between the two. So it was a real uh, opportunity for me to learn from both sides of the coin, mm-hmm. and um, respecting both sides. I mean. My first trip for Barfield was in Italy from Lake Garda to Venice. And, you know, I'd been there many times and I, I didn't speak Italian fluently, but I spoke it well enough. And um, I remember, you know, Butterfield and Robinson got f- tons of letters saying, oh, y- your guides are wonderful, especially Adrian, who spoke fluent Italian. <laughs> you know, it was like, what the heck? <laughs> anyway, it's all good. No, but uh, it's, wow, that's that's incredible. So, um and just I tell me a little bit more about the wine. The wine's got beautiful color, depth of flavor. So it's a Bourgogne, but like that means it can the plots are from all over. So like she must have some access to some decent uh, properties. So this uh, let me just um, backtrack here. Yeah. So there's Maison Loire, which is the negociant business, and yep. then there's Domaine Loire. Okay. This is a Maison Loire Bourgogne Rouge 2015. So this is not something that she farmed. This okay. is something that she purchased. Okay. The, and she could have paid five bucks for this. Wow. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it's top secret, but you can tell it's right, pretty, exactly. it's pretty yeah, phenomenal. It, it, yeah, yeah. It's like, this it's is defining. Not... <laughs> yeah. This is not any, you know, this is better than most Grand Cru. It's crazy. Say, this is, yeah, this this is, is crazy. She, she might have paid 10 for it, but she didn't pay five bucks. We, we, we don't know. That's the whole thing. I, in, in the 20, Five plus years that I've been working with her, only three times have I ever gone to a, or a, been part of a blind tasting where okay. the brokers bring her wines to sample. Wow. I mean, she pays top dollar. There's no doubt about that. And so she's the first visit. Yep. When you got some pretty fancy stuff mm-hmm. to sell, you go to Lalou, Lalou Bislois. Marcel is her her name, and uh, she goes by the nickname Lalou. And she she is such a ferocious taster. Yeah. Like she goes through 100 wines, 
and she'll pick out seven that she thinks have interesting aromatics. And I go through and it's like, okay, these are seven, and I still go and smell them. And then she'll taste, she'll pull in another four or five, and then, but she only tries, she only buys one wine. She doesn't blend. Um, Mm. So it's always one wine. And then she goes back and then she makes a decision or she rejects everything. And the guy has to come back or the woman has to come back the next day or whatever. Um, It's pretty amazing. Um, So all this to say, I I have no idea what to tell you about this wine. All I can say, if I look at this wine and I look at the year, uh, 2015, you know, um, grape prices were still very high then. I cannot imagine that this would be from the Cote de Nuit. Okay. Uh, so I think this is Cote de Bone, and I also think this has to be, you know, judging by the color, you know, either a Volnay or a Pomard. Yeah, I was thinking Pomard with, it's, my, it's, with my little burgundy knowledge, but yeah, it just kinda, who knows what it is. Yeah, but the fact right. is, it, it, but see, this, would, this yeah. is this is like the Chanel handbag yeah. to the Chanel suit. It's not about, uh, you know the style of the stitching or the thing it's 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 a it's got chanel style all about it mm-hmm. you know this is Loire style yeah and this is Loire pedigree and more important than what's on the label is the name of the company it's yeah. it's the brand yeah uh, i hate that word but that's what I'm saying. It's the name. It's well, the name. I mean, because brand has become like everybody's a brand because of social media, but like it used to be. <laughs> right, right, right. But anyway, that's the thing. And obviously, the, I guess the most important thing is is what we're you and I, yeah, two lucky dudes, yeah, I'm, are are tasting right now. You know, no one else. Yeah, no, I don't know if there's another bottle of this on the planet. I don't. You know, I'm sure there is yeah. a few somewhere. Yeah. Well, this is my last bottle. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Thank you, my man. <laughs> Okay. I really appreciate it. So, uh, what did you? What was your next kind of uh, gig in wine luxury uh, after the uh, bike tours? So I had the v- wonderful fortune to meet this incredible man, kind of a Teddy Kennedy character. Uh, his name is Philippe Beeler, and he's almost ninety himself, and he lives in Wales now. And his son Charles is now in the wine business. Charles Beeler. You should definitely interview him. I think I've heard that name. Yeah, and, um, yeah, wonderful family, and um, so he became like almost a second father to me, and 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 uh, definitely a partner, and and uh, we we launched this incredible uh, project in uh, the south of France. Okay, uh, we met in Soho here in New York. He was visiting, and uh, we happened to be. Uh, in the same restaurant, and I happened to be there with my girlfriend at the time and her best friend. Um, and uh, we all four of us had dinner together after meeting at the bar uh, of this restaurant called Provence on McDougal. And um, we were tasting this wine that um, was kind of the iconic wine of the south of France at the time. It's called Domaine de Travelon. And in the mid 80s, they'd become very famous because this. The, the owner, Eloi Diobac, and I had actually dated his niece at the t- in Paris <laughs> a few years before. So I knew the estate. And so that's how we befriended this guy. Okay. And, and I'd been to the estate and it was quite famous um, uh, in France, not really anywhere else, um, because it had rejected the um, the controls, the, the farming controls that were mm, okay. in yep. place in that part of Provence and had um, decided to... Uh, just bottle their wine under as a as a as a table wine, 
which was pretty risque, you know, because the Appellation Contrôlée was kind of like a pedigree, you know. It's like, hey, you've been approved. You're, right. in, a, you're in the top 5% of all, all the vineyards of France. And, um, but he was adamant that, you know, his um, Cabernet, um, which was unusual for that area, yeah. was appropriate to the soil and to the uh, climate and that Syrah was the natural complement. Uh, the Australians um, were showing that to great uh, advantage. And uh, historically, Syrah had been blended with Cabernet over in Bordeaux a hundred years before. Right. So the wines uh, went well together, and uh, he made incredible wine. And uh, for us, he was the benchmark. And we wanted to do something like that um, in a little further... Uh, East, um, a little less expensive. Burgundy and Bordeaux were already very expensive in the early 90s. And this property that we were able to buy um, had some very old Cabernet uh, and some 50-year-old Syrah. When I say very old, I mean planted after the First World War. So, right. you know, we were, you know, talking almost, you know, already 100 years old. So exciting, exciting stuff. Um, and... Um, that property was sold in 2005, um, but I, I got a job in the meantime with Lauber Imports, um, you know, just to bring the story full scale. And when, you know, we sold in 05, it wasn't um, yet a very famous area. It became much more famous a few years later when a guy called Brad Pitt uh, landed next door. Yeah, Brad, Brad and Angie, Brangelina. Yeah, Chateau literally. Miraval, right? Right. So yeah. near Miraval literally borders Rutas. And what? my morning run, because I was... Uh, uh, an avid runner, uh, was through Miraval, looped through Miraval. Um, and so I know the property very well. And, you know, now there's a huge fence and, you know, you know like, you know, armed guards, you know, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, and you've got, uh, you know, uh, LVMH, uh, owning, uh, Lachine and you've got, uh, some, some major investment in Provence. It's the landscape has changed dramatically. And, um, but it was, it was, it was great fun. And, uh, the new owners are, are respecting all the work that was done. Um, uh, it's kind of ironic when we started, it was all red wine and a little bit of rosé. Now it's completely the opposite. It's all rosé and a tiny bit of red. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I don't know that I knew that there was so much Cabernet down there, um, there isn't. Uh, Anymore, but yeah. I mean, but there was. I yeah. mean, Vignolore is a very famous estate uh, that has a lot of Cabernet. Um, other estates do have Cabernet. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the Cabernet uh, was for red wine, and um, the demand for rosé has pushed them to plant the more appropriate uh, grapes for rosé, which are Grenache and Sasso. So, you know, uh, that's sort of the way it goes. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so, like I said, you started uh, at Lauber while you were working on that project. And then um, was that your first wine? Yeah, that was, you know, Mark Lauber. We, we met a lot of different people in the wine trade mm -hmm. uh, by looking for a, a, an importer distributor. Yep. And... Um, it's really interesting. I started counting my fingers on my hand after shaking all these. Uh, you know, it was, it's a pretty murky business back in the early 90s. Um, and it was so refreshing to meet a father-son team, Ed and Mark Lauber, and they were almost innocent. Uh, they were this, this uh, father-son duo in New Jersey, and they were, you know, just, you know, solid as the rock of Gibraltar and uh, good people, and they had a good team, and they were still getting going. And... 
Uh, you know, we sold him this obscure wine from the south of France. And, you know, six months later, Mark Lover said, you know, you, you're pretty good at sales. <laughs> you, should, you should consider it. You know, I, I was not in, in the wine business then. And, you know, and, you know, I said, okay, let's give it a try. And, you know, uh, after uh, the first year, I doubled my salary. So, and the rest is... You are pretty good at sales. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, once I got hooked and I was like, whoa, hey, wait a minute, I can combine travel and, and my love of wine. Uh, it was a win-win. Yeah. So, going back to um, Brutas and, and uh, Miraval, um, read a story, something about Robert Parker was in the region and you met him and, uh, or he tasted your wines or something? No, I, I met him in Baltimore. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I knocked on his front door. Oh, well, so you, oh yeah, you just yeah. I had a girlfriend uh, from a while. I like back. Adrian style. He's like, I had a girl. <laughs> Every good wine story is about a girl or a guy. It doesn't matter. It, well, and you know, I was in Baltimore. I was like, okay, you know, this is it. If you don't, if you don't uh, uh, take advantage of the proximity, yeah. you know. And he was so adorable. He made, 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 me, made me sandwiches, or his secretary did, and, and uh, we tasted the wine at his, his you know, dining room table. It was really sweet. Yeah. It was great. You know, he was famous, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't crazy. Yeah. You know, he was very humble, actually. And he was a good old boy, uh, and very, we had a great time. So um, what was that wine? Do uh, you remember the blend of that wine, what vintage it was? You it was 93. Um, and it was the, you know, basically, it was the vintage 92, and it was uh, it was know, um, the summer of 93. Okay. And uh, um, I can't remember how many wines I had, probably two or three or four. You know, it was uh, a, two reds and a white and a rosé. And, you know, just sort of, I, I, I approached him more as a, a fellow wine lover rather than right. as a vigneron uh, trying to sell his wares. I was mm-hmm. just saying, hey, you know, uh, my, uh, my buddy, uh, you know, he's gone off and he's left his financial life and he's made a, a lifestyle change. He's moved to, to the back country of Provence. It's an incredible terroir surrounded by woods and hills and wild boar. And, you know, this is the real deal. And, you know, in Provence, um, you do something like that. You try and make some low yield, intense, concentrated, f- fantastic wine organically. You're looking, you're, they look at you cross-eyed. You know? <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? You could just sell this as rosé for like, you know, five euros. Everyone's happy, you know? And no, and he's trying to do something different. And, you know, we, this, the state had never bottled its wine before. And this is the first bottling. This is the first vintage. Um, like Trevelon, we're, we're, we're not looking to sell in the south of France. We want to sell in where we live, England and Canada yeah. and New York. Yeah. And you're the gatekeeper of America, <laughs> dude. And I'm here in Baltimore. Let's make love, you know? <laughs> you know? And he was, he was like, come on in, you know? That's so cool. It is crazy, I know. But that's, you know, you got to have balls. And, and, you know, I had so much fun. And, and you know, um, you know it was, it was, that, was the, that was the launching. That's so cool. So... You go to work for Lauber, right? Like you said. Um, what was your first territory, though? Like, did they, they just, like, boom, you drop you in Manhattan? Or were you in Jersey? Like, where do they... No, oh, I lived in lower Manhattan, East Village. And, okay. And, you know, I was there with my big sack of uh, quarters. And <laughs> and uh, I had to wear a suit uh, and a tie. And, you know, off I went. But, you know, because I spoke French, uh, all the French restaurants were open to me. And I remember... Um, 
uh, Boulay down in Tribeca. That was my, my best account. And I had so much fun there. And, you know, I basically, um, you know, um, met with uh, Danielle. I was just there. I just, I just had lunch with Danielle, right? You know, so it was great. You know, we've been rem- I've known him for 30 years. It's pretty cool. Um, and I remember Jean-Georges. You know, I, I sold to the, the big hotels. And I remember when, you know, uh, oh, the... Um, the guy, one of the guys I worked with, Didi Le Calvez, who, who was running the plaza at the time, and you know, he recommended to Donald Trump that there was this young Alsatian chef uh, from JoJo's that would be a great uh, chef at Columbus Circle. You know, so you know, you got, you, I got to be in the sort of French milieu and La Grenouille, La Caravelle, Côte Basque. La Caravelle, uh, love Rita. And yeah, Andre, no, wonderful, like wonderful yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you you like been been in it. So you know, this is a good time. We'll take a we'll take a quick break. We'll come right back uh, with some more of uh, this incredible journey of Adrian Chalk. So we'll be right back, everybody. All right. Are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Tao Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Tao family who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrolins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Okay, we're back. All right, so in addition to like hobnobbing with all the goober smoochers downtown and all the fancy schmancy places, um, when you were at Lobber, you also, um, I assume, got to go on lots of uh, wine trips there with them, like visiting regions around the world. So in in sales, um, you know, the motivations are 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 money or travel. Wow. Yeah, that's how they that's how that works. And I, I certainly was motivated money, but I was selling wine, so I was I was I was doing well. I was number number one or number two, you know. Um, and it was great, you know, living in the East Village, you know, <laughs> making money. It was crazy. You know? That is like the dream in New York, right? <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, this is pretty good. And then, and then the food it just kept going up. Yeah, yeah, I was right. like, wait a minute, two hundred thousand, really? <laughs> okay, I need an accountant. <laughs> and so finally, you know, I, I, I mean, I'd won every trip, and I was going to Australia every year, or France every year, or Italy, you know, just Europe, you know, and. Argentina. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, Becca Valley twice. I mean, oh, what was Be- I love Becca. I love, I love Cinso, um, but not. I mean, I love Cinso, but just I love like a just straight Cinso. And I know Becca Valley. There's a couple places that they have some really old vines Cinso, some really old. They vine. do. Yeah. Uh, what was what's the Becca Valley like? Because people think. You no, know, I think of Lebanon. I think of the '80s, and I think of being bombed out. But Becca Valley is like wine country, right? Yeah. yeah well, so I was a guest of Serge Oshar. Uh, uh, Chateau Moussard. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We represented, um, and you know, I stayed with him in Paris. Um, he stayed with me here in New York. We had so much fun. We became great friends. And um, I know his son. And I, I went to a wedding in Sydney. And you know, so I, I, I'm, you know, uh, I, I was yes, I was invited a couple times to Lebanon, and you know, saw these. Uh, the war wounds uh, on the walls of the of the winery, um, and visit these beautiful 
century-old Sanso. They look like uh, octopus with their heads in the ground. I mean, cra- crazy old bush vines, um, totally dry farmed. And, you know, vines love a view. And these vineyards are so beautiful. They have such a great view of the whole of the Middle East almost. You know, you, know, you can't help but think that they're going to produce great wines. And, um, you know, they have this comp- almost ethereal um, uh, timelessness to them, you know, they sort of, it's sort of a cross between a Barolo and a Burgundy and yet it's, um, you know, cause they've got that sort of dusty petal, you know, rose petal, uh, bouquet and yet they have this sort of, uh, earthiness to them too, that you find in, in, uh, in beautiful Burgundy. Um, Hey, it's, it's the, these, this is what it's all about. You know, the, the place, um, defines the wine mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, great wines are, a hologram of their place. And, you know, Musar, like many great wines of Lebanon, are holograms of this sort of dusty, arid, windswept, uh, beautiful place. Mm. And then also you said Australia. So I, in the 90s, I remember um, all the big, bombastic Australian-type wines. What, what, Like, who were you repping down there? Like, and what did you see in, you know, um, when you were down in Australia? So, you know, 20, 25 30 years ago, I mean, Lauber had an incredible portfolio. They had the best of the best from every region in the world. Um, it was a, it was a, it was definitely one of the top um, wholesalers in in New York, New mm-hmm. Jersey, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, an embarrassment of riches. And we worked with uh, some of the great wineries of Margaret River, but also some of the great wineries of the Barossa and um, Kunuara and uh, Hunter Valley. So, you know, I got to see all these regions um, with the top families behind the wines. And I think if I had to pick one that was sort of uh, the most iconic, it would be uh, Steve um, uh, and Prue Henschke. Oh, Henschke, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hello, uh, Grace. Eden Valley, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they were, they, they were, you know, I went there many times over the years and to their project in the Adelaide Hills, to their projects in the Eden Valley. And, you know, I got to see uh, another side of the Brasa that you wouldn't normally if you just uh, were airlifted in there from 38th Street. (laughs) (laughs) Super cool. And then also um, Argentina, because like, uh, you know, just recently the Catena family won like a Lifetime Award. But like Argentina, like I find that magazines will like, like Argentina, burgeoning wine region. I'm like, that's what you were saying in 1995. Like, like, and but these places have been making wine for a lot of places longer than we've been making in the United States, right? For sure. The, the thing about Mendoza is that every blade of grass, every tree. Thank you. Uh, oh, pouring some more wine. Yes. See, wine, good wine evaporates. It that's does. A, uh, yeah. So um, the thing about Mendoza is that it's um, completely um, human made. Okay. It would be a complete desert uh, without... Oh, it's just like Phoenix. <laughs> exactly. Without the spritzer. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's high altitude, it's arid, and um, everything there was planted by a woman or a man. Mm. It would not exist. I mean, Mendoza is over a million people um, now, and, you know, it's a, it's a staging ground for mountain climbing, which... Uh, led me to Mendoza first time. So I first went to Mendoza to, to climb. I'm a, a mountaineer. I, I used to work for the Alpine Club of France. I used to lead mountain guiding tours. 
uh, after my bicycle tour adventures. So we'll get into that if you want. The Alpine but, uh, Club of France. Yeah. It's the, it's the, anyway, so I climbed a few mountains in the, uh, in the Andes uh, from Mendoza. And, um, but, you know, the vineyards there are, are uh, extraordinary and they are about a century old, you know, if uh, plus or minus. Um, and, you know, they would not exist without the snow runoff. And it's an amazing, and this goes back to the farming of the Incans, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, wow. these, these um, irrigation channels are, are now um, defined by the day and the hour, uh, and it changes every week so that there's no cheating. And, uh, you know, uh, not easy to uh, farm dry in Argentina, in Mendoza, you know, Mendoza, because, you know, it's arid and it's a desert. And uh, so, look, um, that lends its own quality to the wines. I mean, um, uh, it unfortunately, like in Australia, where it's also very arid, you know, uh, by adding water, you're also changing the the way the plant grows. And, you know, if you add more water, you know, you're going to get a more dilute product. Yeah. And... The great thing about old vineyards is that they have such deep roots that they um, they are self-sufficient. It's amazing, you know. You let them decide. Um, it's amazing to see beautiful old vines to see how how um, how in charge they are. It's like you just gotta you gotta protect them. Right. Uh, it's not as though you're farming them. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then, uh, I mean, you've traveled to many places like Italy. Do you have a I mean, obviously, we're drinking we're drinking Burgundy now, which is probably one of your favorites. But uh, what about Italy? When you when you go to Italy or when you went to Italy, what what was one of your favorite regions in Italy? Well, you know, um, I love all of Italy from the uh, because you speak fluent Italian, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know if I speak fluent Sicilian. But, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I I cannot say that I love one one region. Gotcha. I think every single region of Italy is, uh, has a special place in my heart. Right. Um, you know, um, and that's uh, the thing da- about wine, right? Like you, you if you, if wine is about place, yeah, exactly. You can't say, uh, you know, I mean, I love Campania, I love Naples, and then went across to Puglia, and I love Puglia, and traveled all over Sicily, love every single part of Sicily. You know, how can I say no? Went to a wedding in Alba last fall, and you know, it's a little spooky, Alba. I mean, you know, I I I love Piedmont, but I don't think I could live there. You know, when I talk about when I think about places where I could actually live, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's a little different. But I appreciate all the wine regions, and I love visiting them, and I wish I was there now. Yeah. But um, I'm not. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I have a fondness for pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So um, 17 years at Lauber, what unfolded that? Did you leave there? Because it seemed like you, you were, you like said, you, you know, you were like, Biggie, no need to worry. My accountant handles that. Like the money of the paper was coming in. You were living a good life. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to get into it, but, you know, uh, life evolves and, and things happen. And, mm-hmm. and um, Mark Lauber made a decision to, to take a, an offer he couldn't refuse. Mm-hmm. And um, the Chaplin family of, of Miami uh, came in uh, with their little Southern Wine and Spirits uh, dog and pony show and and the rest is history. I mean, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it is the wine business, right? Like, I mean, unfortunately, it really is. I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, you see that with producers. You know, I think, and I'll speak, uh, people get mad, but I think there are people who've been making wine for a long time. Princeton, California, right, and making iconic wines, um, and 
and then finally someone comes in, like I said, with just, just too big an offer, right? But there's a whole group of people, I think, in the States who, like, that's their idea. They want to they create a brand and flip it, like, literally. You know what I mean? Which, well, that's a, that's a new phenomenon. Yeah, that's a new phenomenon, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it comes out of the dot-com era, I think. It sure does. It's know? the last 20, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, last 20 years. Um, but um, what do you think, without, you know, getting too, but, like, what is the advantage of the smaller more hands-on portfolio versus like when these bigger distributors come in and just buy the book, you know, um, what, what do you think happens then? Well, Southern didn't just buy Lauber. They bought uh, the license uh, and they bought the sales team. Jeez. So it was, well, I'm, I'm saying they bought everything, but right. that's, well, that's what they were buying. Right. They needed an in. Got and it. They needed... I mean, Lauber had a great uh, team who was very faithful. I mean, Lauber was a country club. We had an incredible uh, joie de vivre, a camaraderie. Yeah. We went to every wine region together as a team. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, you know, it's unthinkable today to see 10, 20, 30 salespeople all leave. Right, because who's selling wine? It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> It, it was. It, they used to joke, you know, because I used to win all these trips all the time, and they're like, "Adrian, your sales just went up for the last two weeks. You've been away." And I was like, "Well, you know, I've got good uh, relationships, and you know, and this is before, you know, this is this is while you know I was still putting in quarters to to make sure that I was not late, you know, or uh, to apologize for being late, but." Yeah. Um, once. Oh, for our younger listeners, that's that's there. There was these things called, called payphones. Pay <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they're literally there's there's people listening. But to once you can manage your accounts from from an, uh, you know from a BlackBerry, I had right. one of those for uh, a while. Oh yeah, a BlackBerry was like the one of the first smartphones, boys and girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know, then that changed my you know I could be in Timbuktu and you know doing business. In Tribeca, Do you have a which, pager. That's another thing. I never <laughs> had a pager. All the technology. We, yeah, we no, lived I through. never, I never stooped that low. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not a wine dealer. <laughs> I'm just oh that wine. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, look, I had to go down once to Miami to convince uh, Southern to buy a container of rosé of, of Rutas rosé, um, and we hadn't had any sales for five months, and because and they they. They didn't understand the concept of, you know, it was new early on. This is, this is in 05. And uh, I remember seeing their um, map of, I mean, it felt like I was at uh, the Nassau. Yeah, like, like, like a, a NATO World Command. Like, it like, really was. Like, and we're, we're going to take over the wine world. <laughs> they, they literally could show me, you know, thousands of trucks around America and where they were, where they were, you know, and literally on the screen there, on the, on the. It's like a scene on a minority report, right? Like just moving shit around. Like, it totally. Wow. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously they understood, but it was, this was before Whispering Angel even existed. So wow. this was, this was um, you know, the idea of, of buying so much wine, even though it didn't cost them anything really, um, was completely foreign. So it was like, you know, this is the fine wine business. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> whoa, rosé. <laughs> you know, I know. Anyway, oh my god, it was a great experience. You know, uh, I, m- I remember m- meeting this guy Mel Dick. Um, he must be ninety years old now too. And you know, I was like, holy moly, this is a whole other world. You know, big yeah. guy, big guy, boxer. Yeah. And, you know, just say, okay, you're, you're a philosopher, kid. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> that was my meeting with Mel Dick. You're a philosopher. I'll just, I'll take that to the bank. Uh, uh, it's so funny. Uh, so it was. That's so funny. 
That is hilarious. Um, <laughs> you're a philosopher. I'm a boxer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we just I'm we, we, it just got it just got you know that was it. That was the discussion on, in the in the hallway of Southern Wine and Spirits, Miami. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's just that you is can't a make that up. That's a I know. I was like, that's such a Miami story. Like this big boxer, you're down in Miami. Like, is he gonna knock me out? <laughs> yeah. I just I played my words on him, and he was like, I'm, I'm like tongue tied, I'm twisted, and he just like was trapped there, and he's like, see ya. <laughs> I got the rose order. <laughs> you lose this time, big boy. <laughs> but I think you know he's winning in the end because yeah. you know they're a billion, you know they're a billion times over. But yeah. it's okay. It's a it's a different world, and right. and the proof is that you know most of the portfolio <laughs> evaporated, and so did the sales team. So right. I don't know what Southern was left with. Right. I mean, right. you know, obviously uh, even Lauber doesn't exist as a name now. Yeah. Yeah. But to their credit, you know, um, you know, they're good people there. And, you know, I stayed for five years, but after a while it was, it was heartbreaking to see my closest friends in the, in, on the grower side in France. Cause I'd been going to France two or three times a year mm-hmm. f- on behalf of Lauber. And, you know, I was watching our portfolio evaporate, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it's hard to see great growers in, in the Rhone and Burgundy and Bordeaux and the Loire leave. Yeah, yeah. Know, and not because of you, Adrian. It's not personal. It's business. Right, and right, I'm like, right. oh, well, it's time I'm going to make it business. Right. So, so I, what yeah. was was that the impetus to start your own? How did how did how did yeah how did that happen? How did Adrian Chalk Selections happen? Well, I have to give Mark Lauber a lot of credit because you know he was definitely my my guiding light on this, and he basically said, "Look, you know, I'm leaving. I have my five year his commitment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, January first, you know, we had." We had a lunch at La Grenouille. It was an amazing lunch. I'll never forget it. Um, Henry Kissinger and um, Kirk Douglas were sitting next to us. It was, it was like, shit, these guys are at least 90. <laughs> and, you know uh, a lot of 90-year-olds. I know. Yeah, <laughs> this, was, this was like 15 years ago. I'm like, I'm hanging out with them. Anyway, and he said, look, uh, January's coming up and uh, see you later. You know, if you got anything on the back burner, put it on the front burner. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> let me decode that one pretty quickly. And, you know, um, I made the trip to Madame Lois. Okay. I said, um, you know, uh, the family is no longer involved at Lover Imports. And uh, the people in charge now are of a completely different language. Yeah. You know, and we got to figure out a solution. And I had uh, some good support in Bordeaux with um, the owner of one of my Saint-Emile properties, Chateau Fougere, and, um, you know, um, between between them uh, and then, you know, uh, building the portfolio around the, the two poles, Bordeaux and Burgundy, I, um, I made the leap. Um, and I've heard a rumor about the leap, uh, about that leap. Um, it was a big leap. I heard... Uh... Like they're like net thirty or something, right? You got to, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You, you, uh, well, no, no. Lois, um, you know, the money has to be in her Monaco bank account before uh, the wine leaves Burgundy. So, so yeah, it's not even net thirty. It's like yeah, it's, pay me and I'll send you pre thirty. Yeah, pre thirty. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, if you want. Oh, so it's back up, and, and and you talked about like we'll get to it, but like how like 
you saw the prices this year. First, first there was a lot of fucking money. Let's just put it that way. Like, yeah, yeah. Like definitely. like you had to you had to come up with some money. Yes. To yeah. get the wines. Like she's like, I love you. You're right. like a son to me. Here's the terms. Right. So, yeah. but these were not uh, unique terms to me. Yeah, this was these yeah, that, are that's who, I mean, that's how she dealt with. That's how she worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, but like, yeah. how does the so you you were the top salesman? I get it, but like, yeah, how do you come up with money to like? Well, you know, you you, you just got to mortgage your home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was basically what you know. Were you married then? I was. Yeah. Damn, your wife let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it was a partnership, and yeah, and I cool. have to say to to uh, the CEO of of MS Walker, Doug Shaw, amazing man in Boston, and he recognized that. And when he was um, interviewing me uh, in 2015, uh, which is why I picked this wine, because wow. uh, it was really when I met Doug Shaw, amazing guy, kind of like a, a second Mark Lauber figure to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he he not only invited me, but he invited my wife to join us for lunch. And I was like, wow, you're, you're a dude. You know, I was just like, that's a great touch. You know, you, you've, you've already, you've already gone past step two, you know, you're already there and you're waiting there on the, on the, at the base. (laughs) You got the, you got the ball in your mitt. You're like, I got you covered, dude. You're you're out. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, I won't, I won't try and slide into this. Um, you know, and I had to respect that because what he saw much longer, uh, perspective, uh, which was, you know, where I am now, five years later, 10 years later, tripling my business. Yeah. Thanks to his uh, vision uh, and investment uh, in not only me and and the the sort of the lead uh, wine in the portfolio, but just the, 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 the group and how he could sort of see a synergy. I, unfortunately, you know, not all wines made it to the five-year mark, but that's uh, that was very tough for me. But you know, we're in a much stronger position, and I'm I'm on great terms with everyone who did not make it to this stage. You know, they're still good friends. Um, had my lunch with one of them today, so yeah. that just shows you. Yeah. Uh, another family stayed with me last last three days, so we're still friends. But I just am not their ambassador in New York anymore. Yeah. What's that like? I mean, you know, I've had other uh, importers on, and like. I mean, it, it's kind of like—is it? It's like—is it like heartbreaking? It's like your girlfriend breaks, like so you get broken up with, and you're like, but we can still be friends. Like, it's awful. Yeah. It's, I, I tell you, it, but it's—it's it's much more awful for me because I'm—I'm I'm so sensitive. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just me. But uh, you know, I, I owe that to my mother. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, because I take it personally, and. Um, but you know, I'm I, I, I am not clonable, uh, and it's very frustrating. I love to share my discoveries, but uh, there's only so far you can go in the day, and yeah. there's only so much uh, bandwidth, and there's only so much you can sell. So, what has traction and what people want uh, often dictates uh, where you go. Yeah. yeah. So you have to respect that, and that's that's a business uh, maturity uh, and. You have to respect that when you when it's presented to you, and and often it's presented to you black and white, and then you can really see. Yeah. Um, but other times it's presented in a much more gentle way, and you sort of say, "Look, you know, it's it's the best for both of us. You know, 
out of respect. You know, we're still friends, but, you know, you're going to do better with someone who's, you know, with a, you know, and also when I joined MS Walker in New York, they were, they were a little company, yeah. you know, they were much more experienced in Boston. They're, you know, five generation family. Um, New York is, you know, New York has uh, quadrupled, you know, uh, in the last five years. So if I had brought my portfolio to MS Walker now, you know, it'd be a completely different story, a much more uh, attuned sales team, a much different portfolio. Who knows, you know, they might have said, you know what, we've got uh, too much. Uh, look, I think Loire is, is, a, is a huge uh, draw for any yeah. company because it's such a prestigious name. But, you know, they, they, they could very, very well have turned me down yeah. and said, we've got too much on our plate already, yeah. you know. And, you know, I have to do that to many people. I get approached all the time. Uh, by growers. I just can't take them on. Yeah. So yeah. it is, you have to make choices. Right, right. Um, talk about, because in the beginning of the conversation we, you were alluding to, like over the course of your career, 30 years or so, um, the rise of Burgundy. <laughs> the vertiginous rise right. of Burgundy. <laughs> yeah, it's off the Richter scale. Um, in fact, in two years, there won't be any Burgundy to buy. How's that for a prediction? Um, wow. Yeah. Let's what, what, what talk about that. Well, I'm exaggerating, obviously. But well, what I'm saying bit. is yeah. that um, it's become so um, difficult to um, share Burgundy with the amount of demand worldwide. Right. And that's uh, Asia. Right. Well, I don't I, – and, you know, we just had Gary Vee on uh, and um, he made a prediction. That's kind of like what you're saying. Like with something like Burgundy, it's just going to be sitting like in bonded warehouses and people are going to trade digital certificates. People aren't even going to be drinking like, you know, like – Well, that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's called yeah. speculation. Yeah. It's like the ultimate, you know, fine art. Uh, you don't see any of these beautiful uh, yeah. works of art. They're in storage in vaults and, you know, it pisses me off because I'm a wine drinker. Yeah. And I have bought hundreds of thousands of dollars of Loire and Ovenay in my life. Hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. That's not, not nothing. No. That's and I have drunk every single bottle. Yeah, and I love that. I mean I, I mean, do not. I literally brought this bottle for you. I know. I appreciate it. And thank I mean, you so much. But like same, Kevin Zarelli was on and he said the same thing like, you know, because he – has a lot of DRC that he got was really expensive because as long he's been in the business and his son now works with him, he's like, Dad, that ball's worth twenty five thousand dollars. He's like, Yep, and I'm going to drink it. Exactly. Like he, he does, yeah. he's not he didn't buy it to the, to sell it. You know, he he bought it or it was gifted to him by someone. He's going to enjoy it. He's not going to you know sell it. And that that I would say that is a little that is something that is sad. I mean, this is a beverage, right? And then we're having a beautiful bottle of of this elixir, and we're having a conversation over it, or we could have a meal over it. Like, totally. Like, that's the intrinsic value in it for me, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think people, like the whole Asia thing, like, like they, there's so much money in Asia and they have this thirst for wine, man. Kevin is a man uh, uh, I admire, uh, man after my own heart. I mean, you know, he, he got into the wine business as a, as a sommelier. And, um, you know, I, I remember being up on Windows in the World, you know, in the early 90s. Um, and, you know, now 
I just, it was freaky just to to know that a few days before I was up in the World Trade Center. Right, I've heard people that's crazy. Yeah, so um, I go way back. Uh, you know, the windows on the world. I had many friends um, who took that course. Mm-hmm. I used to laugh because you know he had such fun ways of, of he is one do, of the doing best blind tastings. Yeah, it was great. It was yeah. fun. It was a, he he brought uh, the unexpected, um, and he 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 bluffed the whole uh, idea of of you know, fancy wines. Look, you know, we see this label. If I turned the bottle around and we didn't see, the, we would still think this wine was pretty absolutely. damn delicious. Yeah, absolutely. But delicious. when we look at the, when we see Loire, um, you and I sort of just get a right, little, right. little shivery. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, and that's. <laughs> yeah, the hair goes up on yeah, our, exactly. uh, you know. On our I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I, I said before, like, I was like, I was like, oh, I goosebumps. He's gonna, he's gonna bring something Look good. at the goosebumps. I know, I was like, he's gonna bring something good. This is gonna be something good, you know. Um, yeah, anyway. Actually, Ford's Night's been a really cool thing on the show. Like, people either bring like a really rare bottle or just something crazy or crazy varietal. So, you'll you'll be you'll be in the top ten baller bottles of the year for sure. <laughs> well, I I brought this wine because uh, she's so important to me uh, as a, as an inspiration. Uh, she's an amazing woman. She's very misunderstood. She just turned ninety. She's a force of nature. Uh, she started in 1955, you know, in her father's footsteps, and she brought Romani Conti to where it is today. I mean, she went on all, all those first-class planes with her daughter, you know, hawking, hawking DRC, you know. But back when DRC was just like, well, you know, I know the stories. It, like, it was a whatever, you exactly. know. I, you know, John, you know, John Capon told me like Michael's like like he was giving away DRC like with to businesses that had spent a certain amount of money, and you know. So so I have. Um, a kind of an answer to your question earlier about real estate. And, and DRC has about 23 hectares, so they have six vineyards, right? That's a lot of wine between six wines. The six wine is a white, you know, the Montrachet. Yeah. The, the reds, you know, there's a lot of wine to sell. I mean, I've been to the warehouse in New Jersey, and there are pallets of it. There's a lot of wine. And that equals almost all. One pallet equals what we get of the law. Wow. So it's a it's a much the difference of course is that Madame Loire actually has as much land, twenty three hectares, as DRC, but she has twenty three vineyards. So she literally has, you know, one or two barrels per wine. Some mm. some wines, you know, five or six, seven, eight barrels at maximum, depending on the vintage, but her yields are very low, draconian. Um so uh, there is no way you could taste her wines at a dinner or what, you know, yeah. she, she told me these stories of these dinners that she used to host for DRC up in Rochester in three feet of snow and her Chanel dress and her, <laughs> you know, high heels, you know, and they had to be, you know, they had to carry her through the snow, like this little, this little minx, you know, and then she did her presentation in front of, you know, 200 men, you know, all from the North. Or, or East, Eastman Kodak. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Stuff, That's yeah. exactly right. No, yeah. in the big markets. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so, so, uh, what I'm talking about is that, you know, she, she was, um, preserving, you know, she, she, she made her own mark, uh, 30 years ago, uh, with her own estate. And, you know, at the same time, she's carried on this business of, of, um, the family business, which is now over 150 years, uh, called the Maison Loire, which is, um, basically preserving, um, these old vintages. I mean, and she releases wines from her cellar, which I call the Library of Congress of Burgundy. It's <laughs> it's, it's like two point eight million bottles. Oh, it's out of control. That's uns- 
it's absurd and um, it's unique and it's in uh, you know bro did you say 2.8 million bottles of yeah 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 it's out of control um, in nine different cellars she has this beautiful uh, almost two foot long thin Hermes uh, leather binder and it has the code <laughs> I really love her wine. style that is I mean it's so, so beautiful cool. it's like a person they, they made it for her <laughs> of course they and, did. and and of course the owner of Hermes uh, a guy called Bernard Arnault LVMH yep. Louis Vuitton Moet Tennessee he owns uh, most of Champagne, about half, and most of Cognac, about half. <laughs> yeah. he's got, he's got, I think he's the richest guy on the planet. Anyway, he, he came for uh, lunch uh, last fall. She told me the story uh, a few weeks ago. And um, he came with his son, Alex, who's into wine. You know, Bernard is, you know, 70-something, and he's... He's a his body's his temple. He's he's pretty pure. Yeah. No 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 alcohol. He's that guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he runs he runs a he runs a few companies. Right. He's like yeah no for me I'm not going to be off he's, my he, game. He's a, he, he's a businessman. Yeah. And, and uh, but he's also an incredible pianist. Uh, I heard him play um, at uh, the Fondation uh, Louis Vuitton in Paris in the Bois de Boulogne. I mean, he and his wife are both uh, pianists. Anyway, um, you know, look, no, no I'm not. Uh, um, Judging him, uh, what I'm just saying is that he was invited because he wanted to buy Loire. Right. He was invited to her property. He brought his son. She hosts him for lunch. She makes uh, her traditional lobster salad. Mm. He says, okay, cards on the table, $3 billion. And she says, that's very kind of you. Let's continue having lunch. I am not interested. And uh, So – Women's history, there's a bad boss babe right there. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And for real, for real. And she was 89, right? Exactly. So now she's 90. Now she's got it really under control. <laughs> now she's got stamina. <laughs> so uh, the cocoa van comes out, you know, everyone's happy. Braised fennel, the usual. The Cito cheese comes out and he says, okay, let's make it four. Shut the fuck up. Yep, full on. And she says, you know what? I'm creating Fondation Loire. It's going to be for the... For the for the for the rest of France to enjoy my vineyard, not going anywhere. Sorry, there's not have a good trip back an, to there, Paris. There's not an American. Who would yeah, you're, you're not going to sell me in duty free. <laughs> Sorry, not happening. And you know that was you know I, I don't you know I don't know the context, but it was you know it was uh, definite an effort. I mean, he look why not you know? Well, here here's where I think his bad play was. Mr. Arnaud. Mr. Arnaud. Monsieur Arnaud, when the lobster salad came out and there was a bottle of DRC Matrache, that I'm pretty sure a pair, you should have it was It was actually uh, Ovenet Chevalier Montrache. Oh, well, there you yeah. go, bro. You should have had a sip of wine. <laughs> you, you, you eschewed the wine, she eschewed the offer. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I, I love that. Like, she didn't want her wine going to something to just be part of a portfolio. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I am sure at the same time he would um, probably, and I'm kind of frustrated with her about this, you know, he would probably break open the cellar yeah. and get some of those jewels out of there. Yeah. You know, look, I, I have tasted old wines with her and most of them are cracking delicious and still alive and well, which is phenomenal because Contrary to what I would have thought, they would be undrinkable given the vintage. Right. So it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're coming right out of the cobwebs. Well, that's the thing. Like they, they <laughs> they're, have, they're in they the full mold. Yeah, they have not, not moved. Right. Moved. Exactly. So who knows? But, you know, I'm, I, I'm living proof that the wines are still good. 
but I, I haven't tasted all 2.8. <laughs> you know, let me at them, baby, you know, uh, and then I'll let you know. But right now, I, you know, it's a lot of hearsay. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a lot of wine turning to vinegar. Yeah, exactly. And that's it's, it's crying shame. I want to get that wine out there into the, into the I mean, mouths if, of the if people. If you think about it, that was calculated. He's like, he already calculated what he could probably sell it at for auction in Asia. He's like, yeah, four billion is still making a profit. Exactly. You know what I mean? He's like, he's like he's, we're still going to clear two billion. You know? Yeah, we're, we're way ahead on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he is a businessman. Yeah. And, and, and good for him for for pushing it. Yeah, you know, shit. If, if you don't try. I'm trying to even figure, like, I don't even know how many zeros are in a billion, but then he threw on another billion. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. So I gather from our conversation that, like, so much of this, for you, I mean, the business is relationships, but you really take them personally and you cultivate these deep relationships. What do you look for? Like you said, you get approached all the time with people who want you to represent the wine. What do you get, What do you look for when you take on uh, someone new into your portfolio? So um, Adrian Truck Selections is about family-owned wineries that farm their vineyards organically at the very least, um, mm-hmm. you know, with respect to the soil and the place and most important make delicious wines okay okay that's pretty simple pretty simple (laughs) like how do you do (laughs) do you own your vineyard do you farm organically and are they delicious hmm check 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 yeah or not check not check right right um anyway so that's that's you know look uh, that's a that's a starting point you yeah, know sure. these are these are and obviously it's a relationship business you know and these are friends of friends or you know things evolve over time and but you know you know those are are, are solid criteria yeah yeah so um share what you know, like you said, you know Paris, like the back of your hand. Like, kind of like share with some of the listeners if they're going. Like, what are like what are some like really spots that you love that like you know maybe aren't so expensive but have a great wine list where they have, they make a great you know like roast chicken or you know a coco van. Like, what 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 would like you you go you're going to Paris with your wife for the weekend. What are you, where are you going? Where are you going? I would definitely go to Les Papilles, which. Um, um, is on Rue uh, Soufflo, right near the Pantheon. And uh, it's a set menu, um, means the taste buds. And it's a, a wine shop as well as a restaurant. Okay. And it's been around for years. And uh, the guy who owns it is a former rugby player. Oh, and cool. we have the same hairdresser. <laughs> he's, he's, he's tall and bald. <laughs> he's a tall, bald wine guy. That's my nickname. And uh, everything's delicious. Everything's absolutely delicious. And there's a beautiful light that sort of shines through the whole restaurant at lunch. And then at night, there's, you know, very good lighting so you still feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And lots of beautiful uh, wood floor, um, wood paneling. It's cozy. You know, you've got books on the wall. You've got wine on the wall. You've got a cellar. It's clean. Um, beautiful big bar and it's just well run and it's small and intimate. Mm, mm. Les Papilles, P-A-P-I-L-L-E-S. Thanks for spelling that. They're going to get that out of the transcription. Make sure that's in the show notes there. Glow, thank you. <laughs> Les Papilles. Um, <clears throat> that, that's a, you know, a, um, under the radar, yeah. you know, just really cool mm-hmm. place to go uh, near the Luxembourg Gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so central. Um, you know, just like in New York, you know, the, the restaurant world has its sort of icon restaurants and mm-hmm. then the, the, the bistros and other places change. I mean, Paris is evolving all the time and, you know, it's a, it's still a great food scene because they've got great raw material. Right. Um, and, you know, some people survived the pandemic, some didn't. So Le Soufflo, you know, Les Papis did. Yeah, very cool. What about Burgundy when you go to, because Burgundy is now like, Burgundy's probably like crazy to visit now, but it used to, must be just like this kind of sleepy, almost sleepy, bucolic. I'm sure it's still bucolic because of the beauty, but sure. is there more bustle there now? Uh, when I was in Bone, uh, it was empty. Okay. Uh, um, I tend to go a little off season. I tend to go, you know, in February, January. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bone is a medieval town. It's, you know, surrounded by ramparts. It's still very close. It's still a very mm-hmm. small community. Um, but it has per capita uh, a lot of great restaurants, a lot of, you know, um, Ma Cuisine, Cap Madeleine, uh, Les Cocottes. Uh, those are all, all great restaurants. Um and they're serving, you know, Burgundian specialties, but, you know, they're served well. They, but they have great wine lists too, which are not crazy overpriced. Uh, so you can drink, drink great wine um, at reasonable prices. So, so <clears throat> a couple more questions and we're going to get at it. But um, so as someone who... Are you on your way to Burgundy anytime soon? Is that why? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So people take notes from these. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, People take notes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, people take notes. But Cave Cave Madeleine, really good. Uh, Le Cocotte for lunch. And uh, Ma Cuisine is is in the back courtyard on a cobblestone street. And, you know, they've been around forever. And they have an incredible collection of of wines, but also um, chartreuse. So that, that was the next question, but but to to answer your question, yeah, when I go to Burgundy, I'm just gonna fucking call you, like, yo, Adrian, like, hook me up with these places. Sure, no, my, um, my pleasure. But that was my next question. I was like, so uh, I found that I'm still a tour guide. You know? I know, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, um, we a lot of people, um, like, I was at a tasting with a prominent wine critic, you know, in town, like, and this person brought Chartreuse, and I know Pascaline loves Chartreuse, like, like. What's your, like outside of wine when you're like in like what's like what's your spirit like and like what's what's the allure of chartreuse? Cause you said chartreuse. What's the allure of chartreuse for wine people? Well, I've I've been many times up up in the uh, uh, in the mountains to you know um, it's it's an incredible place. It's also about the place and these okay. people are you know. Uh, from a different world. I mean, these guys are, you know, monks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but they're businessmen and uh, they know what they're doing. And, but it's business really cool. monks. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. I mean, uh, I mean, religion is business. Let's not. Oh, kid no. Ourselves. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Tax exempt. Yeah. Well, you know, no, no, no. Land owning. And, and they got kicked out of. Uh, well, they were in Spain for a while, and, <laughs> and they made some. They made some, uh, some made a, magic potion yeah, over there yeah. for a bit, and that, <laughs> that uh, added some value to their to their current project. And, you know, it's all it's all a good story. But no, the the raw material is 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 pretty exciting, and um, it's it's a a liqueur that has um, a lot of flavor, and it's really cool. You know, you can really taste the 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 age in it too, and there is variation and that's what's so exciting about chartreuse um 
But, you know, it's, it's like you tasting old vermouth and old chinzano, all these things. That, you know, there is, a, there is a bit of a mystery to it. And, yeah. uh, you know, and the old blends of, of fernet and all that, you know, it's, it's cool. It's, uh, you know, spices. It's a whole other different uh, side of things. But I, I'm into it all. I love tasting all these things. I wouldn't say I drink a lot of it. Um, you know, I love malt whiskeys. I love... Uh, you know, I appreciate really good vodka, really good tequila, really good mezcal. I like it all. Yeah. Uh, just like I like all foods. Um, but uh, I drink 99.9% wine. And speaking of, so like what's your, <clears throat> um, what's your favorite like? That means a lot of wine because I do I drink a fair amount I know, of beer. I know. I mean, you said he's like, I had two bottles at lunch. I mean, like. Um, well, I shared it with him. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have two bottles, but I mean, so I sh- you shared yeah, yes. two bottles at lunch. Um, Burgundy, what is your go-to? I, I mean, I'm working. I'm, yeah, like, I know, I'm, yeah. I'm making sales while yeah, I'm doing I'm that. I'm working. I, talk, I said I, talk, I drink wine and talk shit for a living. That's what I do. Um Burgundy, like, what do you like? Like, are, do you like, do you go simple? Do you like a roast chicken? Do you like a cold man? What do you like, like? You got a you got you got fucking killer bottle of burgundy. What do you have them with it? Whoa. Okay. So raw material. I, you know, it's either good fish or good. Okay. You know, I, I love making risotto. Um, I'm my favorite. You know, is mushroom risotto. You know, I, I think really good with burgundy. Yeah. Exactly. Um, wife is Swiss. We have, you know cheese is always part of the, the meal. You know, <laughs> there's always a few cheeses, but. Uh, yeah, I, I um, I'm trying to eat more fish. I mean, you know, I'm a meat lover for sure, and I love. I'm a I'm a seafood. Yeah, <laughs> and I eat, eat it. it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh dear. Um, but uh, you know, I can't say I like one food more than another. Yeah. But you know, I I I almost love roasting a chicken just because I know I'm going to make a bone suit after. after you yeah. know, I love a broth, and yeah. that's kind of a fun. And the, the whole house smells really good. Yeah, you know, and I've you know got an avid uh, circus behind me, looking to enjoy that broth <laughs> the next day. You know, it's all good. Yeah, very cool. So this long career in wine, family kind of raised in around wine. Was there a, was there a bottle, if possible? Um, was there one bottle like, like was there a bottle like I'm doing wine? Like you do like these tours? Like was there something you tasted somewhere? You like, oh, oh so many. Um, um, I remember uh, tasting a Lanchbage with my a Ponte Canet with my father from the 40s and 50s. I remember for my 21st birthday tasting a 1928 Burgundy, but I think I think I have I have to go back to Loire mm-hmm. to one of my first. Um, uh, well, you know when I made my pitch to her in February 2011, and um, it was just me and her and my my buddy who is her GM, her major domo. Frederick Romare, and it was in 19, no, no, he started in 93, so I started, we both started together. Okay. And so we we have a long history together, and the three of us were having lunch, and he was like, okay, Adrian, you know, this is going to be choreographed, you know, you're, you're starting your own company, you know, let's just, like, you know, she's, she's inviting you up to her home. And I was like, no, nah, it's all good. And she, she had a, she had a bottle of Corton Charlemagne, I remember it now, uh, from Loire. Okay. Which is her white wine. You know, she doesn't have any white for Loire except for an Aligote, which is crazy. Yeah. I crazy love wine. I love but Auvenay, her, where, where we had lunch, uh, is her home property, and that's mainly white. But 
she didn't serve, interestingly, uh, at this particular lunch, um, any Auvernay. She served the Courtal Charlemagne from Loire. And I don't know, I was in the kitchen or something, and I saw a bottle of 59 Chambertin, mm. which, you know, I don't know, had a few zeros on that baby. Yeah. I saw an empty bottle next to it. I was like, holy shit. And I, I came out, you know, I was, I was cutting the bread for her or something like that. You know, it was just us, you know, and she had someone in the kitchen, but uh, she needed bread. And so I brought out the bread and I said, Madame, I noticed there's a bottle of 59 Chambertin that's empty. She said, of course, for the chicken. I was like, no way, you're just doing that for me. And she said, mais bien sûr. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And she just cooked the chicken in the 59 Chambertin. Yeah. And she said it was légèrement bouchonné. It was slightly, slightly corked. So she gave it to the chicken because it was slightly corked. I was like, okay. That was, that's pretty badass. And, but, you know, and that's... And that was, that, the wine was off the Richter's. It was beautiful. It was uh, like my feet were floating off the ground. Yeah, yeah. I was like, right? anyway, I'm not actually sitting in my seat anymore. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is good. All right. And I was literally there for 48 hours. I went back and I'm like, oh my God, I am going to be the ambassador for Loire. And I was like, I was, I'm, I'm not brushing my teeth ever again. <laughs> It's like you shake, you know, yeah. uh, uh, Paul Newman's hand. You don't shake it, you know. Yeah. I was like, I just like drank that '59 Chambertin. It was so cool. <laughs> that was crazy wine. Yeah, and I love and and that's fucking insane. First of all, but this goes to like when people don't go to a store and say, I just need a cheap bottle of wine for cooking. It doesn't have to be cheap, but you should not cook with anything you wouldn't drink. And she has two point eight million dollars, two point eight million bottles. Right. So, so she's gonna she's gonna pull fifty nine. That was like, and, and cook with it. Yeah. Well, I think she probably had a backup bottle. I'm you sure know? she yeah. did. <laughs> you know, just in case. You yeah. know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I, I I'm not putting words in her mouth, but you know, yeah, maybe she wanted two bottles. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One for the chicken and one but, for us. But always don't think you don't want a cheap. You don't want. Don't say cheap. Just a good bottle for cooking what you're having. All right. Don't don't do that to your salespeople. You should you, you'd want to drink what you. What you're what you're cooking with? So, yeah. well, um, I don't know if we can really top that story. So we're gonna wrap it up. Um, Adrian, man, thanks so much for coming in and and sharing this special bottle of wine that is really special due to the story and how it ties into everything you're doing. Um, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. You know, your your portfolio, your website, etc., and so on. I am so bad on social media, but I, I know I, you have all the four posts I tagged. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm not on social media. You, you don't have to. My wines are my ambassadors. Exactly. But um, yeah, you you can you can definitely go go to Adrian Talk Selections so you can see the portfolio. Uh, you can ask for my wines at at the at the top wine shops and restaurants in New York. No problem. And the sommeliers and on wine directors will, or wine shop owners will, will direct you to my portfolio. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put his little, your little Instagram on there. You're going to say, oh, shit, I just got like all these followers. Yeah, you don't have to post, but it's all good. <laughs> so everybody, um, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. You'll find uh, the info on the wine we drank, which you can't get. Sorry. Like I said, this came from a seller. But you'll find the info on it. Um, and But – We'll also have where you can find Adrian Chalk selections, et cetera, and so on, and and things we discuss in the show. Um, so until the next time, everybody, it's your boy MJ. This is to the Mavericks, the philosophers, which you you know we know you're a philosopher. Like they called you out on being a philosopher. Uh, deep thinkers and all you wine drinkers, everybody, peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. 
please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.